Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life and brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. I want to stop for a moment there just to talk about Hannah's prayer. It's a beautiful prayer of adoration to God for the blessing that he has bestowed on her by allowing her to give birth to Samuel. She says her heart is full of joy and her horn or her posterity has been exalted or lifted up by God. So she says she will celebrate the salvation of God. She then goes on to talk about God's greatness and does it in a way that shows that he's in absolute control by turning on its head the conventions of man. He brings down people and things who are exalted by man, and he lifts up those who are often marginalized. God is in control. He is the one who judges who should be lifted up or who should be torn down. And she says that God guards the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked will be cut off into darkness. And she closes her prayer with words that seem to be prophetic, talking about God giving strength to his king and exalting his anointed. Certainly by this time, certain regions in Israel have already toyed with the idea of a king. We can read about that in the book of Judges. And we know that very shortly, the whole nation is going to come together requesting a king. So her words here may just be anticipating the installation of an earthly king for Israel, or it could be looking even further ahead to Jesus himself. As Hannah's actions and her prayer have revealed her character to us, it will stand in sharp contrast to Eli's sons who are serving as priest. So let's pick up the reading in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. 
the custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give me meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it up to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Here we see that Eli's sons are serving as priests, but that priestly office they're using for their own benefit. They treat the sacrifices that are made to the Lord with contempt, and they see everything that God has given them and blessed them with as something that they should have a right to indulge in at their own whim. We're told here that there was a custom in Shiloh for how the priest and others would eat of the meat that had been sacrificed at the temple. And while it differs a little from what we read in Leviticus chapter 7, the idea of sticking a fork into the pot and pulling out what you could and being satisfied with that carried with it the idea of letting God provide and not taking more than you need. But we read here that the sons of Eli didn't want to participate in that. One, they didn't want their meat boiled. They wanted it roasted. They wanted to have as much as they could. So they wanted the meat raw. So they would go and request the meat before it could even be sacrificed. The sacrifice should have been gutted and trimmed of all the fat and all of those things been offered on the altar as a sacrifice. But these two priests weren't even willing to do that because it didn't fit what they wanted. At the same time this is going on, a young man is being raised up in the temple for the service of God. We're told that he wore a linen ephod, a garment that was typically reserved for priests or kings, and seems to be showing us that he was in kind of an internship, learning all that there was to know about ministering to God in the temple. And each year, his mother was bringing Samuel a robe. Based on the context here, it seems this would have been more priestly-type garments, things that he would wear in his service to God. And because Hannah is so dedicated herself to making sure that her son is able to minister to the Lord for his whole life, God blesses her, and she actually has other children, three sons and two daughters. And while Hannah is finding that favor from God, Eli is about to receive word that his sons will be taken from him. Let's pick up the reading in verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. 
If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar and to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of the people of Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you, Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever, and everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or for a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest places, that I may eat a morsel of bread." In this section, we see Eli confronting his sons about the rumors he's hearing about their behavior and tells them that they need to stop. The sons decide not to listen to their fathers, so the Lord decides that he will end their life. Then a prophet comes to Eli and says that God is upset about all that his sons have done and is upset with Eli because he has enabled them and actually benefited from their behavior by eating the choicest meats. Because of this, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, would perish, but also the lineage of Eli would be cut off from Israel. It's always fascinating to look at these snapshots of God's work within the lives of his people throughout time and history. And there's great value in us looking at just on that level as we look to understand how God brought about Jesus and what his plan had been since the creation of the world. But I think we do a text disservice if we just look at it as a history lesson and don't look for the lessons that we can learn as we look at how people interact with God. What lessons are instructive to us as we look to interact with God in the best possible ways? And when we look at this chapter as a whole, we see a contrast between the way two different people responded to the gifts that God had given them. Hannah had received a son, and because she understood that was from God, for God's purposes, she responded in a particular way. Hophni and Phinehas had received their livelihood from God, and that included the meat from sacrifices. That was their food. That's what sustained them. 
But when they received this gift for God, they selfishly indulged in it and looked for more and for the best, only thinking about how it would benefit them. So for us, we need to look at this story and see which of these people are more worthy of being followed as an example. And certainly it's Hannah, but far too often we're guilty of acting like Hophni and Phinehas. First of all, what do we mean by God's gifts? We need to understand a gift from God is any manifestation of the Spirit in our lives. These manifestations of the Spirit can be any way that God chooses to bless us. And so we need to understand that, understand what we have so that we can use it appropriately. It can be like in Hannah's case, being blessed with a new family member. It can be like Hophni and Phinehas, being blessed with our daily sustenance, or any of a number, gifts, and abilities that we have in our life that can be used for God's purposes. The Bible is full of lists of these kinds of gifts that we're expected to understand and use. Some of them are things like administration and speaking, and other times they're giving of our means and showing kindness. We may be particularly gifted in the way that we interact with others, while there are some who have the gift of administration. Since all good things come from God, those things that we are good at, those things that God has enabled us to do, whether in some special way or something that's developed in us over time, we need to understand that goodness is from God, and therefore we have a responsibility in how we use it. And so when we get to the New Testament, we see multiple passages where we're told to use whatever God has given us, whatever God has blessed us with, however God has gifted us, in a way that benefits His purposes, that furthers His causes. I think sometimes we take for granted because we get something we want that it must be a gift from God, but sometimes those are temptations from Satan. What are the things that God is giving us? How do I understand the blessings in my life? Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 6 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. When we've identified those gifts, those blessings that God has poured into our life through the power of His Spirit, we need to be willing to use those for His purposes. We need to be like Hannah with Samuel rather than Hophni and Phinehas with the sacrifices. God doesn't gift us for our own selfish indulgence. Yes, We will enjoy the gifts that God has given us, but that's not the purpose for us receiving them. We've been given them so that we can further His causes, participate in His purposes. Let's look at a few passages from the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip saints for works of ministry for the building up of the body. The gifts and abilities that I just mentioned, some people see as more special than others. Certainly, Scripture speaks against that, but those are very prominent ways of people communicating God's Word and God's will. But we're told that that is done for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. 
Those can't be ways of self-promotion or getting people to pay you a lot of money. It's got to be for building up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's not solely for your self-indulgence. It's for everyone. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. One who serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Peter says, whatever you do, you do it through the power of God, so be a good steward of that power and that grace, and use it to serve one another. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were designed and created to do good things with the goodness that God has given you. So if we want to be true to the gift we've received, we have to use it for God's purposes. In Romans, Paul had told us to think about these things with a sober judgment, to make sure we think about them in the right way. The reason that's important is because we see in this story, and we're told other places in Scripture, that God will bless those who generously share his blessings with others. James chapter 1, verse 25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. God says there are layers to the gifts that he gives you. And the more that you use it and unpack it, the more blessings that you see and experience and receive. You're blessed in the doing of exercising your gift. God saves us by his grace. He blesses us because of his mercy. But when he does that, he calls us into account for our stewardship of those blessings. When God asks us to use these gifts for his purposes, he's not just trying to get us to jump through hoops to see if we're willing to do it, then patting us on the head and saying, good boy, now you've earned your spot in heaven. What he's doing is teaching and molding us through the exercise of those gifts so that we're prepared to be with him for eternity. He's trying to rescue us from ourselves because if we're left to our own devices, we will destroy ourselves with our selfishness. In surrendering to him and letting him rescue us, putting into effect the gifts that he's given us, we then can be a beacon of light and hope for others. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.